welcome back to Round 12, the podcast that will always be dedicated to growth, development, and motivational mastery. I am your host, Sensei Roger B. Hamilton. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of the Round 12 podcast series. Let's go get it. Jules Stein Eye Institute. It was 1984. I had grown so much, and so too had my professional sales territory. Crazy how it was only two years earlier that I had accepted my first serious corporate gig. Before that, I had been struck by a speeding tow truck while walking in the crosswalk and thrown 20 feet through the air, and survived. I had my moving truck stolen after a five-day trip driving across country. Everything I ever owned was in that truck. I learned a thing or two about starting over, to say the least. Now I was 27 years old. I was stabilized and thriving and climbing. I was calling on all kinds of business accounts. Happily, I even found one office products dealer to call on that was owned by an African-American couple. This account was located in the Baldwin Hills area of Los Angeles. Baldwin Hills is an exclusively black area where many thriving black families reside. I seem to develop instant rapport with the people at this particular retail store. I always made sure they received my very best level of service like everybody else. My territory also included Beverly Hills and its surrounding areas. My sales success continued even there. I had grown extremely comfortable with myself and with my professionalism. I was also calling on college bookstores, which was always an enthusiastic sales call. The environment always seemed to be upbeat with tremendous high energy. One particular college I called on as my customer was the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. Their bookstore was quite expansive, and it was always a challenge to sell to the experienced and knowledgeable buyers. Attached to USLA was a medical center. A portion of that medical center was devoted to ophthalmology. The name of the adjunct facility was the Jules Stein Eye Institute. One day in passing, I noticed the name on the side of the building and decided to schedule an eye examination, which I hadn't had in a great while. Maybe somewhere way back in the back of my mind, I had always hoped that my eye could be repaired. When I saw the word institute, in spite of all the years of downplaying my injury, I felt like what better place to have my eyes examined? Since my medical insurance covered the visit, there was no reason why I shouldn't have them take a look. Sure enough, after a random visit, I arranged an appointment and made it back for an exam. Coincidentally, my ophthalmologist was an African-American woman. When I arrived for my appointment and realized that my doctor would be a sister, I was pleased. It seemed fitting somehow. I was extremely surprised by the response I received to the history of my eye. I had simply come in for an exam to see where I stood and to be certain that my proverbial good eye was still up to speed. 
I had no idea that I would cause such interest and get the attention I received. Supposedly, my case was very unusual. After sending for my medical records from my original doctor back in New Jersey, the Jules Stein doctor and her associates continued shaking their heads concerning my case history. My records indicated that I developed a secondary cataract from my initial injury some 20 years before. But the cataract was gone. The cordial lady doctor asked me continually, where did it go? I had no idea what she was talking about, and I informed her with a puzzled frown, don't ask me, I don't know. I just came in to get an exam. So you must have had surgery, she exclaimed. No, I replied. Nobody has ever operated on my eye. I shuddered at the thought of somebody cutting open my eye. The very interested woman continued to insist that I must have had surgery. I continued to, to insist that I had not. Somehow, she said, your cataract has reabsorbed itself back into the eye. Yeah, okay, great, I thought. I still couldn't see. What was the big deal? Supposedly, my case offered some unique characteristics. It wasn't like she was telling me I would see, so of course, I reacted indifferently. This gracious but inquisitive woman took me round and round about this cataract and how unique it was and what new knowledge it offered her. I was glad that my case could help her, but I just needed to know if my remaining eye was still kicking. Her response was affirmative. Apparently, my vision in the good eye was better than 2020. That was all I cared about. But my doctor continued to make a big deal about my eyes and scheduled a special return visit in which I would be examined by a team of specialists who could surely benefit from observing my case. I agreed nonchalantly to return for the visit, but I wasn't near as excited as she was. The news was interesting to me, but I could ill afford to believe that I would ever see out of the eye again, so I downplayed the whole thing all the way. The day of the special exam, the Institute was officially closed for business. This day was scheduled for unique or critical cases that these doctors could all review simultaneously. I remember sitting in the darkened examination room while doctor after doctor came in with his notepad and got nose to nose with me behind the familiar ophthalmoscope. Their comments consistently indicated some special individual ability. I had never thought very much of an inadvertent ability which I was forced to develop, but they seemed to think that it was praiseworthy. One doctor with a German accent even went as far as to tell me before leaving the room that I was a very intelligent young man. I could not understand how he might come to that conclusion by simply looking at my eyes. I still conducted myself cordially, but it was all quite mundane to me. The special exam was over and the doctor asked if I could come back again to have the chief physician look at my eyes. I agreed, but still would never let myself become emotionally involved in the attention. I figured whatever they were seeing would only help them, not me. Once again, I came back to the now familiar Eye Institute. Once again, I was in the room with subdued lighting, feeling some doctor's breath on my face. But this new doctor I did not like. 
He seemed to have a bad attitude. He came swaggering into the room and never answered when I said hello. It took him about two seconds to lose me. During this visit, I became very impatient. I was ready to go. Forget this mess, I thought. I don't need to be in here with this big head white man trivializing me. I'm out of here. The exam was complete, completed rather quickly this time. Sure enough, I was making rapid preparations to break out. I rose from the chair and walked to the door. I paused and walked out of the room. I was standing outside the examination room dressed in my neatly tailored work clothes. At least I had more than two suits now. Suddenly, the initially unsmiling and unreceptive doctor who was about my height followed me out of the examination room and was standing nearly nose to nose next to me. I looked the other way. I was waiting for my sister. She was my doctor as far as I was concerned. I continued standing calmly in the busy hallway, anxiously awaiting the brown-skinned professional. Just then, this aggressive and muscular-looking middle-aged doctor spoke to me. You've done a good job, son, he said, while my head was turned completely in the opposite direction. I heard his voice, and I turned to look at him. He was still not smiling. As a matter of fact, he had a pronounced frown on his face. Excuse me, I replied directly. I know it wasn't easy, he said, without changing his expression. I was suddenly confused. I really didn't know what he was talking about. I remained silent. Having only one eye is difficult, he continued. But having one eye as a child is extremely difficult. I know, he said. I had vision in only one eye when I was young. In that split second, I felt like I was about to break down and cry. Nobody had ever said anything like that to me. For that matter, nobody had ever seemed to understand my predicament, which I learned to look at as a fact of life. The stern-looking doctor continued speaking. Son, I know how cruel kids can be. I had a very rough time of it. You feel different, he insisted. It forced me to have an extremely angry childhood. I never smiled and I was always getting into trouble. I just wanted to be normal, he said sincerely. I swear I was bubbling over inside from emotion. I was certain this guy knew what he was talking about. Like you, he continued, I got into sports. I was a champion skater, he said. I always wanted to keep up with my older brother. I was still silent. But look at you, he announced with the first resemblance of a crooked smile on his face. You're doing okay. You should be proud of yourself. Keep it up. I looked deeply into this man's eyes, who now seemed like an old and dear friend. I reached out to shake his hand. I still had not spoken. We shook hands with equal strength and sincerity. He never said another word as he turned and walked away. I had never been so moved, certainly not by a relative stranger. His comments had burrowed deep down inside of me. I had listened and I had heard. I thanked him from the bottom of my heart. I never saw him again, but I will never forget his face. There has always been something profoundly special 
about the word empathy. I left the Jules Stein Eye Institute that day a better person. I knew that somebody somewhere understood. On my next visit, the energetic lady doctor offered me a startling update. Apparently, some young girl had recently come into the medical center emergency room with a trauma to, trauma to her eye. The doctor informed me that because of the positive results of my case and the things she had learned from it, she would not operate on the girl immediately and she would handle the case differently. She thanked me for my patience. I was pleased to hear such news. When I finally left the Institute for the last time, I was very glad that I'd come. And I concluded that maybe somehow, some way, I had done some good. That was a beautiful conclusion to come to. It was an amazing alternative to the feeling or non-feeling I had about my situation to date. Now I could add true survivor to my perspective with the medical credibility to go with it. Even though I hadn't processed it all fully yet then, I had started on a cool new path. After challenge and change and wonder, I was now kind of certain that it's not how easy or difficult your life is that matters, but how you look at it that makes the difference. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of Round 12. May you live as long as you want and never want as long as you live. May the worst days of your future be like the best days of your past. And may you continue to answer life's bell every time. Until we meet again, Time!